Hello and welcome to Babe Cave. I am Amanda Pollock and this is the Elise Mayfield episode. Elise is uh, one of my good friends. She is an actress, comedian, former reality show contestant, assistant food stylist, playwright, um, video host, co-creator of Babylon Nosh, which you'll hear more about later if you don't already know about it. She's basically all of the things. She's a Swiss Army knife. Elise, I'm so excited that you're here. Oh my gosh, hi. Thank you for calling me a Swiss Army knife. That's amazing. I, I mean, pretty much. Because I was like, she's all of these things. All of these things. I appreciate things. that. That's like a, that's like a, a goal. And now, now I know. Like, I feel really, that's really nice. I remember yeah. described as a utility knife. And I like it. Thank you. I mean, because you really, you can do it all. Improviser, that's actually how we we first yes. met. We first had our conversation. Yes, that is how we met was uh, was at work. And mm -hmm. if I remember correctly, um, I'm trying to remember. I, I mean, we met in like a hallway somewhere. And I feel like comedy came up and all of a sudden it was like, Oh, like you studied at Second City in LA. Like I studied at Second City in Chicago. Boom, mm -hmm. friendship magic. Friendship magic. Yeah. So it was um, at Time Inc. in Birmingham. And I had seen you quite a bit um, because, too. So when you would do food styling or like anything for video, that yeah. kitchen was right there. So I was always in and out. And, uh, yeah, it was one day. So actually, I remember exactly where it was. Oh, nice. So it was um, that corner up <laughs> on the fifth yep. floor where sometimes people would, you know, shoot some things. And um, our boss, Mike Grady, his office okay. was right there. And we started talking about stuff and said something about Second City. And um, it was funny because, you know, he knew that uh, I had done some stuff. And I don't know if anyone had said, like, that you had done it too. And no. so it came up and he jumped out at, we were like, it was that whole thing. You did Second City. Oh, you did Second City. Oh. And uh, he jumped out of his office and was like, what? Oh, <laughs> Second City. And, and we were like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to do with this. Um, yeah. And then he, he, and it was him. He was like, if you guys want to do anything ever, let me know. And I think we were like, yeah. Yeah, we should. Let's do something. And then we did. And then we did. Yeah. Our first time, too. So, and I've talked about this a little bit on the show, but just to kind of set the scene for people. So, at Time Inc. in Birmingham, there are the Time Inc. Food Studios, which I guess it's called something different now that Meredith bought them. Although I see people still calling it the Timing Food Studios. I don't think there's been any clarification on it quite gotcha. yet. So I've just been referring to it as the food studios. Yes, the food studios. Um, so it, at the time, it was covering 11 lifestyle brands um, for, there were, tw are there 26 or 28 test kitchens? There are 28 test kitchens. Good memory. Okay. And yeah. 13 photo bays? Yes, that look, sounds right. Look at me with the math. Um, look at you. Look at me. I remember things. Uh, so, you know, anytime you look at a magazine, if you even still look at magazines, um, all of the recipes 
that are in there. They have to be developed. They have to be tested. And so all of that thing, all of that whole process happened up there. And uh, then also the, the shooting of the food, uh, which is a really intense process. And I, yes, it definitely can be because there's the pressure, especially if it's a recipe that's already been published, there's the pressure from the video digital side that you want the food to look the same as it did in the magazine. So Mm -hmm. there's some pressure there and, uh, and you want to make sure that your recipes really do work so that they look exactly the same. And, um, and those are long days, you know, like the video studio, when you work over there, you know, it's good like 10 hour days because it takes Mm -hmm. an hour to set up an hour to break down. And you got to eat lunch at some point. And so it's a full eight hours of shooting. People always forget about lunch whenever you're filming anything. Like when you put stuff together, people, that seems to be the first thing that they, they forget about. Um, but yeah, so nobody's got time to do anything hangry, which is a real, (laughs) real problem up there. Everybody's hangry. (laughs) Yeah. Well, also too, I mean, when you're dealing with food, everything takes so much longer. So if you do something and it comes out burned or it's a, you know, it's a real thing. It's a real thing. Then you got to make it again or like reschedule the shoot, which is a pain in the butt for everyone. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, if you, for all you people who, you know, love looking at food and recipes and all of that stuff, there's a lot of work that goes into all of that. But, um, and a lot of Pam's, spray yeah (laughs) (laughs) like that's why that food looks good because it's been sprayed with Pam multiple times and then put on set (laughs) so and I know that there are several uh covers that I've seen where like I know Southern Living does like their white cake Mm, for Christmas Yes, I think for over 20 years now, Southern Living has had a big white cake on the December cover. Yeah, and I remember that um, because, too, to make it photograph well, you have to do a lot of things that sometimes aren't – you're adding things that maybe not are not exactly in the recipe. And yeah. I even know from when I worked at Cooking Light, people would be like, but mine didn't look like that. I'm like, because it's not supposed to. <laughs> It, it looks ish like yeah. it, but you have to add some things, especially yeah, baking. Like, oh, yeah. Baking uh, baking can be hard because I think with cooking, like, you have so much more control over, like, you know, how long things stay in the pan and which, you know, affects color and all those kinds of things. With baking, it's like it goes in that pan, you put it in the oven, and, like, whatever it looks like is what it's going to look like. And... I know when we do stuff for the magazines, it's, you know, with the big white cake this year, I believe we had to make nine separate cakes and each one of them had four layers. So there were like the whole, the freezer, the walk-in freezer had like an entire shelf that was just like cake layers stacked on top of each other. Um, Yeah. I mean, the baking is really, I love baking. I feel like that's my like, first love in the kitchen was baking but for food styling it can be a little scary because you can't always control how like that cake is gonna come out and yeah yeah, yeah. um but it's a lot of fun it's, it's a lot, a lot it's a lot of fun and yeah and yeah so we 
we met, we were like, we should do something. We should. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I love food and I've worked in food for a long time, but I would not say that I was as talented as some of the people who are in the kitchens and stuff. So, um, so it was really fun too to think of something to do, um, for a show with you. But, but yeah, our, one of our first conversations, we were trying to figure out what we wanted to do since we knew that we had the support of our very kind boss who let us yeah. use the studio there, which is pretty much like a dream. It, it was, is like a there. I mean, there's two, there's, uh, essentially like a, a studio that's set up full lights, you know, it's that beautiful kitchen that you never actually see in anybody's real home. Um, <laughs> and basically it's set up that like you can have two sets shooting at the same time. Mm-hmm. And then in addition to that, there's the corner space that you were talking about. We also now have a whole other smaller studio space. Hmm. Um, so there's lots of places where there's camera cameras going all the time, but the the real big studio is beautiful, and uh, it, I think they've got the big like control room yep. right off of that where we have capabilities to go live on the internet. Although I also think they have the capability, and correct me if I'm wrong, like if we got picked up by a network, we could also like live broadcast from from there, there are as broadcast well. capabilities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which so, is yeah, really fun. It's really cool up there. Yeah. And, and so, so yeah, so he was like, do whatever you want. And so we were like, okay, what do we want to do? And, um, we really settled on this whole idea of like the best conversations happen in the kitchen. Yes. And I remember we went, I do not remember what we did the first time, but we went like on a Saturday, nobody was in the building. We go into the studio. I think well, I know I barely knew how to turn the lights on in there. Um, there <laughs> I definitely <laughs> didn't know. I was like, I think I know one button. And um, yeah, and so we just played around with an iPhone. I was going to say we filmed it on your iPhone. Yeah. And then we we emailed the like iPhone video to Mike Grady. And then we're like, and okay. he was like, I was like, we, I, we did a thing on a Saturday. And Grady was like, okay, I'll watch it. And then... And then he was like, I like it. Like, let's do some more. Let's actually do it. And I remember being so excited. And it took us a while to come up with the name for it because we were like, well, what is, like, what do we call this? Mm-hmm. Because it's basically a show about having conversations, which, I mean, now you're doing Babe Cave, which is also <laughs> about having conversations. Mm-hmm. Um. And it took us a while. I remember, did we, did we figure out the name of it? No, it wasn't at the coffee shop. I can't remember. No, that was like our first, we had like our first like meeting thing, whatever. Business meeting. That was like, we came with notebooks and I think I even wrote stuff down. I always bring notebooks to meetings and don't write crap down or I pretend or I doodle or you know what I do is that I'll fill in to-do lists of things I've already done so then I can check something off. That's oh, it's normal. so satisfying. I totally do that. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. I'm such a list maker. Like, I'm such a list maker. My fiance makes fun of me for it because he finds my list all over the house. And he's like, why are you there? I'm like, because it helps my brain be like, good for you. You did wash the 
you know, wash the dishes or unload the dishwasher. You did it earlier this morning, but you checked hey, it off. Look at all of the things that I did. Uh, this is I'm I, just oh, yeah, for our listeners. Like this is it, and the first thing on here is talk to Amanda. I like it. <laughs> I'm on there. You're on my calendar too. Nice. Good. Nice. Um. Yeah. Anyway, I, you I think coming up. We had a couple, like we had some lists of things and I want to say, I think the first one, um, I want to say when we shot our pilot that we were, we called it kitchen talk. Yeah, I think you're right. And Grady was like, let's come up with something that's better than that. And he was like, (laughs) okay, well, like what are, so what are we doing? Like we're talking and we're snacking and what, I think I literally Googled like synonyms. For both of those things and we ended up coming up with Babel and Nosh. Well let's let's be real. You came up with that name and it's so good. And I still I think that um we still need to reserve it and have our stuff even though like we stopped doing a lot of things because so many people have been like that is such a great name. I'm like get the get away from it. Like I've had people before where, um, even, even up here, I've said, you know, I've, I've mentioned it or whatever. And they're like, Oh, well, are you doing any, are you guys doing anything with it anymore? Um, well, if, you know, uh, if you guys don't want to do something, maybe like I could use it or maybe I could whatever. And I was like, yeah, I'm I'm not kidding. I back it up. No, (laughs) I have back it. It is. No. Because I remember too, like when we first started, it was like, I don't know what this is, but this feels really fun. And man, so many, I just, but Babel and Nash, like that is just such a good name. And I think it describes us really well. Yeah, it does um, actually. You know, and it's funny too. So, you know, we started it and we were like, uh, we would each have a story and we would yeah. also have an item that we had baked or that we would make right there or whatever. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, let's be real. You made way cooler things than I did. Um, (laughs) I'm not going to dispute you, but I will say, I think the fun thing about Devil and Nosh is that. I'm not going to dispute you because yeah, I didn't, you, you made a, you made a, um, a Buffalo Rock cake, which for those of you who don't know, because most people don't know, but Buffalo Rock is a type of ginger ale, which is the best ginger ale ever, ever. It's like super spicy. Like the first, like it makes me cough every time I take the first sip of it, but it's so, it is so good. It's so good. I need to come to Birmingham and get some because they don't have any in Nashville. Oh my God. I got it. I'll try to get you a six pack or a 12 pack. Oh my, next I used to go to Publix show. all the time and get that after yeah. we did that episode. But yeah, but no, and I interrupted you. I'm sorry, but I was saying like that you made way cooler things than I did. Cause I was just like, Hey, I'm going to bring LaCroix and talk about a story. And that's it. <laughs> hey, uh, you know, LaCroix got its place in the world and it's all over the place. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the thing that was great about Babylon Nosh and the thing I appreciate about appreciate about you is that you have an incredible ability to talk to anybody, which I do think is is like an inherent talent that I have to 
work at. It doesn't come as naturally to me as it does to you. And that's what was so great about Babel and Nosh is like, anytime one of us needed to pick up the slack of like, what are we like, what should we be talking about? Or like, where's the thread? You know, one of us was there to pick it right back up. And I think that's why it worked. And you know, we, we made it through that whole first season and I, I thought that we were starting to, you know, make some headway and then life got in the way and the layoffs happened at time. And I was so bummed that you were leaving, but I also think that it was time because you were ready to leave Birmingham. And I completely understand that. I mean, like sometimes it's time to leave. And I uh, was so fresh from leaving Chicago too, that I, I still really understood that feeling of like, it's time for a different, different place. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was, uh, I was, I, you know, we talked, we talked about this earlier. We tried to really figure out a way to make it work with being in two different cities. But I think both of us work so well one-on-one with people and it's hard to try to figure out how to logistically make something like that kind of show where we needed to be in the same room together at the same time work when we were going to have to be doing so much planning over, Mm -hmm. you know, FaceTime and email and things like that. So, you know, I think it's, I think there's an alternate universe where those layoffs didn't happen and Babel and Nosh kept going. I wish I knew what that was like because we were on such a good roll with things. And I think we had really figured out what our banter was like and, we had our, our camera guy, Caleb, who was such a good sport and was like there for us to tease the whole time. And, but he also had figured out like what the show was and knew how to shoot it. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And I also, I was thinking like, we were so gung ho about that show. Like we got our website we like were real like we were so in it and I remember Grady kind of being like don't go too crazy but we were so sure it was gonna do well I don't think we were wrong I really don't do you know that it's actually one of the only things that people ask me about like people who I met with a friend um uh from high school he was in town we met for drinks or whatever and he was like hey what's going on blah 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 whatever he's like um, I was like, yeah, you know, well, I'm doing my show. And I was singing about Babe Cave. And he's like, yeah, I'm babbling Nosh. He's like, so wait, when is it coming back? Like, so many people watched and just yeah. loved it. And so I think sometimes, too, that also kind of pulls it, your creative strings and stuff where you're like, yeah, but, you know, the, the first season is always the hardest because then you're yeah. figuring out, too, like, especially with a show like that, you need someone to shoot it. And we were super lucky to have mm-hmm. Caleb. I mean, we had an episode where we came up to Nashville. Yes. And we also did one at a, a rest stop. Um, Actually, that was that's one of my favorite ep- episodes is that rest stop one. Somewhat, I think, because we were tired. And so it's like oh, the best we were. unfiltered. want to talk about hangry. I actually had, I, I'm not even going to lie. Like, and I can call myself out, but I had like almost like a complete, complete meltdown right then. Because I can't remember what food I didn't have or I wasn't happy with. There was something or like, I didn't yeah. have... They didn't I didn't have, have the item at the gas station that you were 
looking for because we were talking about road trip food and they didn't have it. Yeah, and then I had to settle for something in the vending machine and I was just, yeah, I was not good. And and you were being so nice. Like, that's also the thing that I feel like worked really well. Like, when between us is like when what you were saying is like when one could feel that the other was like, I'm about to lose my shit. And yeah. I feel like we knew how to kind of navigate that with each other. It's like, it's all right. You know, what can we, how can we make this better? How can we, um, which you don't always get with people who you work with. No, you don't always. And I, I, I think that's a, um, that's one of those things that I think that you kind of inherently feel out with a partner. I also think that it's something that you, I think that's, it kind of in an agreement when you decide that you're going to start working on a project with somebody, mm-hmm. that's part of the package that I don't think we really talk about is like, you also have to learn how to navigate how things are going for the other person. And it's truly a partnership and a creative partnership, especially one where you're working on creating content. You have to learn how to deal with the ebbs and flows that happen, not only with coming up with ideas, but also the ebbs and flows of like, how is your partner doing while we're filming? Like what's going on outside of filming? And that's really what you're signing up for when you, when you work on a project with somebody, it's a, uh, I think creative partnerships can be some of our most intimate friendships because it is, it's a combination of things, of, of both business and also your creativity and, um, sharing ideas with somebody can be really vulnerable. Um, but it can also be really fun. I mean, that makes it sound really serious, but, and cause we were having so much fun, but there is a vulnerability in your creativity. Um, and you have to create that, that space with somebody where it's okay to like not have your best day. Um, and also okay for the other person to shine. Mm-hmm. And that's a really, a, a really cool and special thing. Yeah. And also too, something that I felt was really awesome was like, there would be times where maybe we were doing something, we were in the middle of a scene and like, we would just catch each other's eye. And it was like, Mm -hmm. like we already knew, like if something was a little bit off or whatever it was, it was like, I know it, like, how do we get back? And whenever we would talk, like that was, that is probably one of the greatest, um, gifts I think that you can have when yeah. you're doing something creative with someone where you can you you're like okay so something was off and then you when you're talking about it you're both like yep okay that's fine next time and this is the stuff I'm going to work on and I'm going to do better about you know uh saying that these are the things that I need or just speaking up a little bit more because yeah. uh you know the format for the show um you know, I mean, it really was, we would have kind of, you know, people who are familiar with sketch um, comedy, but, you know, you just kind of have beats that we would, yes. you know, you do your intro, we would switch off who introduced stuff first, but most of it was improvised and yeah. not just ad-libbed, like people, I think they get true, like when you're really just in the moment and just going through things and constantly trying to support the other person you know so whenever you're saying something I want to make sure that I'm letting you shine in that moment so asking you questions that make you look good 
and participating and listening and being active in that moment. And it was, it was so much fun because when you're really present with someone else, then when things do go wrong, you're like, shit, I don't like how that feels. You know what I mean? So then, right. Because you also acknowledge that it, if something's going wrong, it's not just the other person's problem. If you don't, you know, if you're not feeling good about something, you have to recognize what it was that you didn't do. And right. That's, that's a hard conversation to have. Sometimes people don't, you know, I think especially in creative um, endeavors, people, I mean, you kind of have two people, the ones yeah. who are like, you know, just kind of railroading everybody else. And yeah. and then it seems that it's the other one where you're like, well, um, I don't know, like, should I ask for permission to do this thing? And I want to make sure that I'm supporting them. And you don't want to be seen as that other person. Right. And then you just kind of, you know, yeah, roll over and you're like. I I think there, yeah, there's definitely, there's the, I think what was great about Babylon Nosh is that we were both able to acknowledge that we had both elements of that going on and um, we were able to talk through stuff and it was really fun. And I wish, you know, I, 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 uh, I wish we had been able to figure it out, but I do think there's value in projects that you invest a lot of time in. And then there's a, there is kind of a value to things. I, I don't want to devalue the importance of Babylon Nosh just because it didn't go past the season that we had. Yeah. I guess is what I was trying to say is that I still think that that was a really cool and, you know, I'm still really proud of the work that we did on Babylon Nosh, even though it didn't go on for seasons and seasons and seasons. I yeah. think what we did was really neat and um, I'm really proud of the work that we did. Yeah, and it's such a good, you know, um, and I, I kind of um, poised this question to you before we started, yeah. but, um, you know, when you think about endings or, like, or actually, you know, any kind of creative project that you're doing, there's kind of, you know, again, like, you, most people just only talk about two things, you know, when something just takes off and it shoots through the roof and, you know, it, it's has unbelievable success. Yeah. And then when things just fail miserably and, <laughs> you know, um, you know, but I, but exactly like what you're saying is that, you know, there's just sometimes where it, it, it was, it was wonderful while it was and um, just circumstances didn't allow it to go past that. Um, right. And it's, it's okay. And yes. And I think too, so, and this was, this, that was not really the question I posed before, but this was the question <laughs> I posed before. But, um, do you find that your experience with, uh, theater, which focuses a lot on closing nights and things, yeah. you know, kind of naturally running their course where they're wonderful yeah. in that time. And then you move on to the next, uh, do you feel like that also helps you just overall with creative endeavors where you're not constantly trying to make the same thing work yeah over and over that you can kind of let things be I think so I I think because I have been doing theater since I was really small I mean I started going to I think I started doing you know community theater stuff when I was seven or something like that 
And I think that it has affected me in many, many, uh, you know, a myriad of ways. Um, but one of them in particular is that it's made uh, my focus. I'm very project based. So I really like things that have a beginning, a middle and end. And I like the pre-planning phase and I like the post-mortem and in a sense, I feel like we're having a little bit of a postmortem about Babel and Nosh right now, which makes me feel great. Um, <laughs> Check it off your list. <laughs> Check off. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think so because I, I really, I'm, I'm very project based in life, and I honestly think that comes from plays because it's like you do your audition, you, you've got a little bit of time leading up, and then you do the project, and, and then it's over. Um. I just closed a show last weekend and or two weekends ago. And I think there's always a little bit of a show letdown for me. Mm. Um, and I do think that I, this applied with Babylon Nosh as well. It's like, I, I missed that creative partnership that mm -hmm. we spent so much time working on, especially right after you moved. And I find that with shows as well, that I will miss those relationships um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I miss the work. I think mm -hmm. I'm able to let the work go really easily because I feel like the, you know, the project has come to a close, but I do find that I, I miss those relationships that I spent time working on because like with every creative endeavor, like I was saying before, those are intimate relationships that you let people into your life and you, you, you know, share some vulnerability with them as a, as an actor. Um, and, but I think as a, as a performer, it does mean that when projects come to a close in my, you know, professional life, I think I'm able to acknowledge that there will be a period of time where I will miss something. Mm -hmm. And I know that ahead of time and it makes it easier in some sense to be like, okay, I know that for a couple of weeks, I'm going to feel maybe a little off and it might be because this project is, is probably going to be because this project is coming to a close, but then I'm able to acknowledge it and kind of, and, and let it go. Um, yeah. I think that there's something really wonderful to the ebbs and flows of life. And uh, that seems really like, you know, theoretical, but, um, I have always found that I've kind of, I kind of throw myself into things and then I let them go. And I, I feel like um, it's allowed me to do many things in my life because I've been able to say like, yes, to many, many things. You know, one time my, my therapist said to me when I was back in Chicago, oh, bless Carol, who still talks to me once a month. She's incredible. Thank you, Carol. Um, <laughs> Carol said to me one time, um, that I was an opportunist and she said that to me like right at the end of a session. And I initially was incredibly offended. Like, what do you mean? I'm an opportunist. Like I took it as a negative. Cause it normally is used as a negative. You know? Used as a negative, like, Oh, she, you know, that person's an opportunist. Uh, and I feel like it's meant in the, in this, like my connotation of it was that, an opportunist is somebody that steps on the toes of other people to get where they're going. Mm -hmm. And I think she meant it in a, in a different, 
I know she meant it in a different way. And I've now realized that it is actually one of my best and one of my worst qualities is that I, I am an opportunist in the sense that when I am presented with an opportunity to do something, I almost always say, yes, absolutely. Yes. And I jump in with both feet and I get incredibly involved. Um, but it, and it, it does mean that, you know, sometimes I have too much on my plate that's kind of the worst part of it is that I'll get too much on my plate. But the best part of it means that I have been able to do a lot of things in my life um, without being scared to do them. And mm. I, it's a thing that I, 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 uh, I feel like not everybody has and, and, and that's fine. But I'm really grateful for all the experiences that that uh, quality in myself has, has kind of allowed me to do. Even though it does mean that I have a plate that's too full sometimes. It's a thing that I like I constantly have to work on is like what's too much and what isn't. Um mm -hmm. but yeah. yeah. No, 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 I love it. No, <laughs> that's so great because um I think it also gives a good segue into um, you know, you taking opportunities and chances and stuff and uh you were in Alabama for however long and then made a trek up to Chicago yes. and made a life there and did some really incredible things. And yeah, I moved to Chicago after graduating from Ole Miss. Uh, I moved at the time, um, I didn't really know anybody in Chicago. I, there had been some people that had graduated a few years ahead of me that were in Chicago. Um, but I decided to go there because I had lots of friends that were moving to either New York or L.A. right after school. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I was terrified of film. I did not want my image captured on film. Mm. And I actually, this sounds weird because I was on a reality television show and I do film all the time, but I still actually have like a really hard time uh, watching myself mm -hmm. on film. Uh, it's, uh, it's, I think, something that a lot of women deal with, with like body image stuff, but it can be really difficult to, and I, I still don't like having my picture taken and all those kinds of things. So I didn't want to go to L.A., and New York, I, I just, I didn't have an equity card or like any equity points. Like, and I didn't want to be somebody that basically moved to New York to be an actor and then didn't do any acting because I couldn't get into the auditions for anything. So and that's always the struggle, right? Yep. Because when you're starting out, you know, um, it's, you know, union or non-union gigs yep. and the union gigs, you have to have enough non-union credits or whatever it is to be able to yeah. do it. But non-union doesn't pay anything. Maybe it's right. minimum, maybe it's minimum wage and a meal. Sometimes it's just copy of the tape yep. and a meal. So yeah, I, I think it's uh that's a struggle that a lot of people go through that I think the people at large don't understand like yeah. that's the, the struggle is is definitely real trying to like weigh those options mm -hmm. and so I ended up going to Chicago because I knew I could work I knew I could act mm -hmm. I knew that there were there were lots of opportunities and I will say if 
there's anybody listening to this that is thinking about going in, into the entertainment industry, my best recommendation for starting out is to go to a smaller city. I think that there are so many opportunities in places like Atlanta and Chicago and New Orleans that you may not find in LA and New York. And you like, I'm not saying don't get rid of that dream about living in New York. I'm just saying like, get some stuff under your belt and then make that trip because it will be so much easier once you've made some connections and can do some networking and have some stuff on your resume. And more than that, you've got your, your confidence, like ready to, ready to rumble. And I think that's what smaller cities really Mm -hmm. have to offer are like building your confidence because you'll feel so much better and stronger uh, once you've got some experience. Um, So to go with that ambition, experience and ambition, I think really set you up for success. So um, I went to Chicago. Yeah. And I, um, I particularly, I was, I had been doing in college, I had been doing, um, Improv was like my extracurricular. So I was doing like a short, I was in a short form troupe um, called Hooligans. And um, we were short form and we had a lot of fun. So I went to Chicago to go study improv professionally. And I um, started out at IO and then um, moved to Second City. Um, And yeah, I learned a lot. at both of those studios, one of which at IO, I learned that I really am an actor's improviser. Mm-hmm. Um, and Second City is a little bit more geared, I think, toward actors, improvisers, because there's an emphasis on taking improv and using it to create writing. Um, that uh, the writing aspect isn't as important at IO. And uh, not to say that that is not a great program. Yeah, no, they're just, it's just two different (laughs) schools of thought. Like some people will fight and be like, no, 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 this is the best. But I just think that everyone kind of leans towards, you know, there's just different stuff that kind of works for people. Yeah. So I, yeah, I went through the conservatory program at both of those studios and I met some incredible people. Uh, It's fun to see, uh, there's, you know, it's fun to see people now that I did improv class with that are, that are like on SNL now. And, uh, it's and, a real like, thing. It's a real thing. It's, it's a really real thing. Like, oh my and, God. I knew you when you were like 22 and like right out of college and yay. <clears throat> um, well also, uh, we had a couple of mutual friends who, yeah. um, had done that, you know, moved from, at least one, a couple of them had moved them from Chicago to LA and ended up at, yeah. in one of my classes at Second City. And I think it's so hard sometimes to explain to other people that, mm-hmm. oh, no, no, like a lot of us are like, there's a lot of people who aren't just in these classes and doing stuff and thinking that they're whatever. Improv really gives you the tools to be working in so many different things. Cause like what you were just saying with commercials and stuff, like I see so many of my friends from class who are like all over commercials and SNL or their guest writers on those shows or, uh, you know, your director, you know, like one of my directors was a correspondent on the daily show for a couple of years. And yeah. And I, and I say that not to be like, 
we're so cool, but just that, no, if you've done any of this for any amount of time, you should know people who are successful. You know, like if, if you, if you have a career that you're fully investing in, there's that stuff's going to happen. Like if you were in Chicago for that long and you didn't know anybody, like if you didn't know anybody who had ended up on SNL and you were at Improv Olympic and Second City, I'd be like, well, what were you doing? Who are you hanging out with? What were you doing? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, those training centers are incredible and I did meet some amazing people and I learned a lot of stuff. And I think the skills that um, I learned at those places translated into real life skills as well. Mm -hmm. I I feel like there's still some connotation that going into the arts as a, uh, like a major in college or, or dedicating your time to study um, at these places is like a useless, you know, not helpful or like a pipe, just setting you up for Mm -hmm. a pipe dream of stardom. But I do think that those skills are useful in many, many, many places. Um, because not everybody is going to end up on SNL and not everybody's going to end up, you know, in movies and with a career where you can, or where you're a full-time actor. But I don't think that that means that that time was wasted. I think that those skills transfer to other jobs, which is how I am now. I mean, I, I did a huge career change after being in Chicago for eight years. Um, I went, I was, I, I'm, I considered myself a professional actor in Chicago. Uh, I did have a day job, but I spent all, I spent as much time at my day job as I did either in class or in rehearsal mm-hmm. or performing as I did at, at my day job. And um, I did a huge career change at the age of 30 and I moved back home to Birmingham Um to jump into the culinary world uh, because I had been doing it as like a hobby. Like I had a, a supper club at my house and, um, and then I went on a reality television show. Just <laughs> like a little, yeah. So I don't, yeah. Why don't we talk? <laughs> I guess we can segue into that. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it's not, I don't like it's, a, it's not like it's little, I'll let you say stuff, but I, it's a big, it's a big deal. You're a big deal. <laughs> I'm not a big deal. She is the a big, big deal. And she always pretends that she's not, but she's like uber talented. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I, the reality television show. Okay. So I was on the fifth season of MasterChef, mm-hmm. which is, uh, it's on Fox. It features Gordon Ramsay as producer and also like the head judge. And the season that I was on, Graham Elliott and Joe Bastianich were also judging. Um, and it's a competition for home cooks, basically. And the big prize is a bunch of money and a cookbook, uh, basically, which is a big deal. So um, I I guess, I, I, you know, I was in Chicago for a really long time, and I kind of reached a place in my creative career where I was feeling very stalled. Um I was, I I just got tired of, I felt like I was getting cast in the same roles over and over and over again. And I was feeling really stalled creatively. My agent was having a hard time, um, placing me. Like I was getting, I was doing lots of callbacks, um, for movies and TV projects. Um, 
and none of them were just quite the right fit or they would decide to go with a different person kind of at the last minute. And um, I was just, you know, just having, I was feeling really stalled. And so I uh, auditioned for a whim on a whim um, for MasterChef. I got a press release that went out to everybody from one of my agents and, um, the audition was the next day. So I had less than 24 hours to prepare. I was the company manager for my theater company, the ruckus at the time, there was a company meeting scheduled at my apartment the next morning. And so I spent the entire comp- I spent the entire meeting cooking while everybody else had a meeting and I would like yell things from the kitchen <laughs> while I was in the middle of trying to prepare this food because the audition had started at like 9 a.m. and the meeting didn't wrap until like one, maybe, maybe, I mean, I think the meeting mm-hmm. wrapped at like noon or one or something. And so I didn't even get there until the afternoon. So by the time I arrived at the audition, I was like number 275. Like, I was so far down the list. There wasn't even really a line anymore because I had gotten there so late. Mm-hmm. Um, and in retrospect, good on me because I didn't wait for hours and my mm-hmm. food was actually still hot, which I kept it hot in a insulated lunch bag uh, with socks that I had put rice in and heated up in the microwave. And I, My stepmom used to make um, heating pads. Out of yes. that she had, yeah, yeah. And I also used those uh, glove warmers, the mm-hmm. the like ones that you take out of the package and they mm-hmm. heat up when they get they touch air. And so I had those in there with like rice heated up socks, and that's how I kept my food warm. <laughs> so you were supposed um, to come with like just any dish, or yeah, you had to come with a dish. And I got in the room, and it was like two things are about to happen right now. You've got to talk to a producer. You've got one minute to make them remember who you are out of everybody else. Also, a chef is going to be coming around and tasting your food. Um, And I was like, okay. So I gave this elevator pitch and I was like, you know, I'm an actor. I have was also at the time I was like, I'm I'm in a ladies arm wrestling league, which is true. Hold on. Hold on. I've never. (laughs) Wait, you don't know about that? It's like baby, baby glow, baby, baby gorgeous glow. ladies of wrestling. Yeah, it's like baby gorgeous glow. ladies of it's, arm wrestling. Oh my gosh! It's, it's called Claw, the Chicago League of Lady Arm Wrestlers. <laughs> so cool! Facebook them; they're amazing. Um, actually, Claw is a uh, a national like thing. There are uh, there are chapters all over the U.S., but the Chicago one is the biggest. And has been going on for years now. They rent out an auditorium like (laughs) three or four times a year. They have bands that play in between. There are like you go in. It's basically like pro wrestling for women's arm wrestling. So like you have a character, a costume, a manager that's also part of your storyline. You've got an entourage that's part of it. What was your character? Oh, um, so I went as... Oh my God. Okay. So I also had an alter ego at the time named Florida Devereaux, um, who is a character I had created in an acting class that essentially left the acting class and like had a life of her own. Like 
She had a couple of cabarets. I studied, I used her as my focus for my thesis and my, for my master's degree, um, because I was really interested in the liminal space between a person and a character. And I used this character of Florida Deborah, who is basically an alter ego of mine of like, what, where is the space between when I am me and when I am Florida? Florida was basically a washed up sitcom star. Um, who was like a semi-functional alcoholic, loves 90 sequins, like very thick Southern accent, um, many ex-husbands and... Oh, I thought you said many. I, I thought you said many ex-husbands and then you said many. Oh, like, like tiny ones. Oh, you did, you did mean many. No, I meant oh, like, okay. like okay. lots. No. <laughs> but that would be hilarious if they were all small. Um... They and so uh, essentially the storyline was that Florida was taking any guest appearance that she could. And so she like started doing this wrestling thing after like not she didn't even know what it was. And so the the only matches that I ever won were done bribing the umpire. So I became the villain of Claw because I was like blatantly bribing people and I turned it into like a whole soap opera with the host Um uh, and it was, it was, it was super fun. And I, I wrestled for, you know, like a couple of years. That's so cool. And then I, I became like the safety training uh, person. So every time we had trainings, like I would teach the safety stuff. There's like actual safety things. Like you can literally, we had a girl break her arm mm-hmm. at one of these. Oh, I believe so it. This, apparently there is a fracture, an arm fracture that you only see in baseball players and arm wrestlers. And it's like a when you it's like a break in the uh, forearm, and uh, we had a girl break her arm in claw, and then we had to start instituting these safety trainings uh, because we had to talk about technique. So I started talking about technique, which I can go into. But basically- that is so and like I, I mean we're gonna go back to your audition in a minute, but I just had to yeah. stop you because like I had never I didn't even know that. That is amazing. More things. My so- doctor likes to call me an onion. He's like, how many other things are going on right now? Like, what? I, yeah, um, no, that's, that's that's so cool. I'm going to, ooh, claw. I got a man. Uh-huh. Yep. So, yeah, if you said, if you're going into an audition, oh, first of all, and also you have hot food. Hot food. You have hot food. And then you say, oh, yeah, and by the way, I'm in ladies arm wrestling. I feel like you yeah. definitely stand out among the crowd. Yeah, I mean, uh, Claw is what got me into MasterChef, I swear. Like, so Claw, cool. that was the hook was like, wait a minute, she does ladies <laughs> arm wrestling? Like, <laughs> um, And basically, like, the chef came around I guess my food was okay. I remember I had made like little individual handheld chicken pot pie hand pies. Mm-hmm. And I had made like a Brussels sprout salad, which now I've done so much cooking that I'm like, oh my God, that was so simple. But I, I think it must have been good enough. And um, and they they were basically like, we need to ask, we need to talk to it, ask some questions to some other people. Um, if your number isn't called, it doesn't mean anything. And they kept like, five of us out of the group of 20. And as soon as the other people left the room, they said, welcome to round two of casting. 
And I, I was like, what? And I had a show that night and I was waiting and I was like waiting in this room to go talk to, to do like the next round of casting. Mm -hmm. And I'm texting my stage manager and I'm like, Daniel, like I'm in the middle of this thing. I think I'm going to make it to the show, but I'm in the middle of auditioning and I did not know how long this was going to take. Like, I don't know what's going on. So I I get, and I got led into another room with like 10 people where I basically had to get my elevator pitch again to like more people. And, you know, basically my sob story was that I had a lot of student debt because I had gone and gotten a master's degree that I wasn't really using. And so I could use the money for that. And which is not really a sob story. It is true. It was, it's true. Student debt is a real thing. Um, and so, and then they were, they kept another like three or maybe three to five of us from that group. And they were like, wait a minute. And so I'm texting my stage manager again. And I'm like, Oh my God, I'm about to go into round three. I don't know what this means. Like, I don't know how long this is going to be. How long oh, had you been there at that time? I had been there for hours, maybe yeah. four hours. Okay. And so it's getting to be like six o'clock and I think it's an eight o'clock show, which means I have call at seven. Mm -hmm. So I, I had like an hour to get there and I was like, I don't know what's going on. Um, and I am texting my stage manager. I'm like, I will be there in time for the show. I don't know what time I'm going to be there though. Like I could be there a couple of minutes beforehand. Um, so there I'm waiting. And then finally I realized they call me in to talk to a producer and they scheduled like an on camera thing, an interview that I needed to do, but it wasn't that day. It was going to be later. And so I finally get out of there at like six 30. I've got a half hour to get across town back to my apartment <laughs> to grab my makeup and then make it to the theater. Thank God I had a car. Um, and I did make it in time for call, but I was like so overwhelmed. If I remember correctly, like I had told people I was going to this audition the day before at rehearsal and people were like, how are you? And I started like weeping. I was so like wound up and I started crying and People were like, are you okay? And I was like, I'm just kind of overwhelmed right now. Like I just went through like three rounds of casting. Like what's going on? I did mm -hmm. not expect that that was going to happen at all. And, um, and then I did the show that night and, um, it was great and it was a really good show. And then, um, and then I went the next week to a hotel room in downtown Chicago on my lunch break and I filmed an interview. Um, and then I just kept going for like four months. More things would happen. It was like, send us some footage uh, that you filmed around your house. And I did that. And then some paperwork arrived and I did that. And then I filled out some more paperwork and some more paperwork. And then I went for drug testing and, and I was like, okay, we're just going to keep going. And suddenly I think the, I think the auditioning was in September and December rolled around and, um, you know, I had to, I had to do one more thing. And then the week in between Christmas and new year's, I got an email that was like, they want you to come out to LA for the final audition. 
This does not guarantee that you will be on the show, but they want you to come out. Um, and I had two weeks to like, and they basically said like, you're coming out to the audition. If you make it on the show, you will be staying here for up to 10 weeks. So when you pack, you've got two weeks to prepare to be gone from everything for up to 10 weeks of time. So luckily I had been keeping my boss kind of in the loop. Mm -hmm. Um, She was one of the, there was a very strict like non-disclosure agreement happening. And so not many people knew what was going on. Uh, but I had kept my boss up because I didn't want to surprise her in case this happened. So as soon as I got back from the new year, I had to have a meeting with my boss where I was like, is it possible for me to go on leave? Mm-hmm. Um, and my the HR person was like, well, this is new. Like, never had to deal with this before. And they mm-hmm. basically put me on, like, maternity leave. But I didn't <laughs> have a baby. I had, like, a show. And I packed my bags. Um, and I flew to LA and I met like a couple of people like on the flight. Like we ended up kind of being like, are you, yep, you are. Okay. You're going to the show too. Um, and there were a hundred of us that were flown out from all over the country to like an airport, uh, hotel. And we basically, we checked into a room and we were assigned a roommate that we had never met before. Um, in this hotel and we uh, were checked into a room within 20 minutes of arriving. um, My cell phone was taken away and I didn't see it again until um, I was eliminated from the show, which was five weeks later. So um, my phone was gone and I, uh, I, yeah, I checked into this room. I met my roommate. Her name was Andy, and um, she was great. And then it was just like being on a weird spring break vacation <laughs> with a bunch of strangers who all had bigger personalities than I do. So it was like it was like absolute insanity. <laughs> um, like I had never met so many extroverted people in my entire life. And I'm actually an introvert, so I was, like, very overwhelmed, and um, I was very overwhelmed and and intimidated. Um, And I remember that first night, everyone was like, well, we don't have our phones. Like, what are we supposed to do? And people ended up, like, we all ended up in, like, the swimming pool. Like, there was (laughs) some drinking going on. Like, I, yeah, and I was, I felt very, very overwhelmed. Um, And then the next day, like, the audition process continued um and it was basically like we ended up going and cooking and then we ended up uh doing some like one-on-one interviews with people and then they made their selections like two days later and it was basically it was 15 girls and 15 boys and they started calling the boys names first they called all of the boys Um, and then we were on, they were calling numbers. They weren't even like calling names. They were calling numbers. And then they started with the girls and I realized like, okay, they just did 15 boys. They're going to have to call 15 girls. I was the last number called. Oh my gosh. I was the last number called. (laughs) 
people had been like jumping up and yelling. I, to no surprise to anybody that watched the show, immediately started crying. And I like, I didn't even jump up. I just like kind of cried out of like relief and also t- ultimate terror. I was like, mm-hmm. oh my God, this has <laughs> happened. What is going on with my life? Mm-hmm. Um, and I like that my number was called. People were crying that had not gotten on there that had like quit their jobs. And, um, and basically we were excused to go back and like some people went, you know, it was like people were flying out the next day and it was like people were going to the bar because they were pissed off and they were going to go like drink, go swim. And they were like, you know, know, they were so upset because basically it was like 30 people out of a hundred people got, got chosen. Mm -hmm. So 70% of the people were pissed off. It was a bizarre experience to be one of the people that were still staying because everybody else was so angry and like, what's, you know, why is that person better? And some people weren't angry. Some people were just like really disappointed, but it was, um, it was a really intense evening. And I remember like, I just went to my room cause I mm-hmm. didn't know what else I was like, I guess I'm just going to go to my room. And I paced the floor for a good 20, 30 minutes. Cause I couldn't call anybody. I couldn't call. And be like, oh, my God, this thing is happening. Like, what do I do? Yeah. I couldn't call anybody. Like, I wanted to call my mom so bad. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have a phone. And I paced the floor. And I took a shower. And I watched Law and & Order. <laughs> and I had room for this brought up. And I tried to go to sleep. Um, and that's how I found out I was going to go on the show. Um, yeah, so... I mean, I don't, that's, that's also like a lot, like you can't even decompress with anybody who, you know, you could talk to yourself. You might be able to talk to other people, but it sounds like, and also, I mean, most performers are introverts and we both are. So I would, I'm already, I, I was overwhelmed. Yeah. I was um, Yeah, you're right. There's no way to decompress. And that's kind of built into the design of these reality shows. Mm-hmm. There is no way to decompress for our contestants. And that was, for me, the hardest part of that entire process. There's nobody to talk to because the people that you are bonding with um, are also your competitors. And they all go, like, they one or two of them leaves every other day. Mm-hmm. So your support system gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and the only real contact outside of your contestants and like the staff that's trying to help take care of you, but they also have to stay like as removed as they can Mm -hmm. um, is a phone call that I got like once a week with my parents on a recorded cell phone for 10 minutes every week. And that was it. It's like prison. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. Um, we also didn't have the room keys to our own hotel rooms. So when we wanted to leave, we had to call the staff to let us to, to tell them where we were going. And then we would have to call them to let us back into our rooms. So we really didn't have control over 
anything, you know, it was like, <laughs> we ended up getting our own hotel room. So everybody had their own room, which was great, but we couldn't, you know, we didn't have freedom of movement and we didn't have access to like, you know, phone calls and stuff like that. Um, and the phone calls with my, with my parents were hard. You know, I spent a lot of those phone calls just trying to assure them that I was okay, but also like doing a lot of like crying because I was so relieved to hear them. Basically they start, they like, you know, um, they were so like the, basically I didn't get to call them until I had been in LA for a week. Mm -hmm. So I called them right before my cell phone was taken away. And then they didn't hear from me for a full week of time. They had left like an emergency number for loved ones to call a staff member. So I think they had called the staff member to be like, is Elise still there? And is she okay? And they were like, yes. Um, but the first week, you know, I called and my mom just like, she cried in relief because she was like, oh my gosh, are you okay? Like you're still alive. <laughs> um, and, uh, and then they basically, uh, my parents, I would call my dad and he would conference call my mom in and they knew that the phone call was coming, um, at like 8 AM on like a Tuesday. Cause I basically was able to call on like Tuesday mornings at like 6 AM LA time. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I would call once a week and, um, that was kind of my connection out and my my mom would let my best friends know. She would basically like send them an email that was like, this is what Elise said. Um, I had friends that were checking on my apartment and my car to make sure they were still there. And um, God bless them for like helping take care of things. Um, and basically I was gone for five weeks. Like once the audition process was done, we went to set the next day. Mm -hmm. We drove into the Paramount Pictures set, mm -hmm. you know, and we went to costume and makeup. We got ready. Uh, we, and the next day, like, they filmed our re our real re reactions of seeing the kitchen for the first time and, like, being on set. So it was, like, it started immediately. Um, and it was basically, like, the actual final cooking audition for, you know, for the chefs. And, um, I should have kind of known what was coming because I was again, the last person selected to be an actual contestant. Mm. And, uh, there's actually a really funny moment where they basically like, they called everybody and they were like, you know, um, everybody else, they, they, they did a fake out on us where it was like, I thought I had lost the audition to actually like win my apron and go be on the show. And instead the season that I was in, they did like a fake out where they were like, there's basically like, we're actually going to do a battle with the final eight of you. And two of you are actually going to get to go and be part of like, be on the rest of the season. Mm -hmm. So I had to go battle for my apron. Um, and I basically made the dish that I had made for my initial audition mm -hmm. and which was the chicken pot pie hand pies. And I was the last person that they were going to judge my food. And basically Gordon Ramsay was like, you made another pie. Cause my initial, my initial, like what I had made for the first cook off was, a um, a different pie. 
I made a blueberry goat cheese and thyme pie. And this time I made chicken pot pie. And he was like, you made a different pie. And I was like, I know, but pie is so good. And like, don't be mad. <laughs> and um, he was like, don't make another pie on this show. And I was like, oh, okay. And um, that was how I, I basically was called Pie Girl for the rest of the show. Like that was my like online nickname was Pie Girl. And um, uh, and and basically he was like, don't make another pie, but you're going to be on the show. <laughs> like they're coming down to greet you, everybody else. And um, and I got my apron and then I battled it out for five weeks, which was. I was number 13. I was basically eliminated halfway through the process. I think I was on nine of 18 episodes. I basically made it halfway through the season. Mm-hmm. And I was eliminated in a very dramatic fashion. <laughs> I um, I developed uh, anxiety-induced hypoglycemia while I was on the show. Um, those systems are very closely linked and I, uh, I do struggle with anxiety. Um, and I have since I was a, a child and, um, I, I think in particular for this, when I was on MasterChef, you know, it wasn't like I got infused with other people. It was that I was incredibly hard on myself and mm-hmm. I still am. Um, but I definitely was while I was on the show and, um, the anxiety of the constant judgment that I had on myself, uh, essentially it kind of started to override my blood sugar levels. And I, um, had like a panic slash blood sugar drop on national television. And I fainted into Gordon Ramsay's arms. Um, I can tell you that he smells great. And he suits. <laughs> are so impeccably tailored (laughs) and he was really nice about it and was like genuinely concerned about my like health. And he was like mad at the production team for being like, like how long has she been sick? Cause I had actually passed out like two days beforehand. Um, I had uh, on set as well, but the cameras weren't rolling. So they didn't pick it up that time. And, but the second time that, that this had happened, I was like on set into his arms. I swear to you, I did not know what was happening. I did not plan it. I did not know. I was not told by the producers to do it. Like it just, it's a thing that happened. Wait, people, people thought that you did like it was not true. I think there was some supposition that like, gotcha, that couldn't have happened. Uh, but it, it did. And, um, I, uh, basically like Gordon was like, you do not need to finish this. It's going to be fine. Like you don't need to finish this particular dish. Like, and I did go back and try to finish it. Um, so, um, basically that happened. And then I was so terrified the next day that it was going to happen again, that, when the challenge happened, I could not focus on what I needed to do. And I, um, I, I really messed up and I knew I did. And I just told, like, I was like straight up, like I messed this up. Like, it's not good. It's not good. Like I just, I messed it up. And, um, and I was eliminated from the show 
and it wasn't a wrong thing. It was totally fine. Like I really had failed that challenge. Um, and I, I told him on TV and I stand by what I said, like I didn't do a good job that day. Um, I wish that my anxiety had not gotten in the way because I think I would have gone a lot farther, but I just could not get my confidence back under me. And it took me a very long time to get my confidence back after that show. Uh, and I think it even affected me. Like once I had moved back to Birmingham and was actually trying to work in the culinary world, I was very hesitant and shy about it. Um, and I would say it's probably only been in the last like year and a half or so that I've, you know, felt like I know what I'm doing and I'm a good cook and mm-hmm. yeah, it's going to be fine. Uh, but it, it's that, that process, I know we talked about closure and like being able to let things go, but I think that that was such a fork in the road moment for me, um, that it, the effects of being on that show linger, uh, lingered for a lot longer than mm-hmm. I I think I anticipated they would. Yeah. Well, I mean, also it's, it's a national stage, right? And so, you know, not everybody watches every single show, but you're then susceptible to the internet at large. And I know we have talked previously about what that is for something like that, where I mean, you legit just went to an audition just thinking you would go and leave and then you're yeah. auditioning for four months, you know? So in in some ways, it's like you didn't know what you were signing up for in a lot of ways. You know, you're just, no. you kind of just keep going and going. And I, I think that you probably had the mentality that a lot of performers have where you're like, you hear no so many times or so many things you know, don't work out and you, or you go to a callback and you're like, great, I was at a callback. That's, even if I don't get the job, they wanted to see me again. So it's. Yes. You, but then when you make it, you're like, what the. <laughs> what that is exactly what happened. Your... I was like, what do you mean? Yes. Like, I don't know. What? Like, it's supposed to be no. Thank you. Thank, it was great meeting you. Thank you for your time. Yeah, <laughs> that is usually what it is. <laughs> Um, and it was bizarre to me that like, this was a thing that like, I had just gone on to like on my own, like I didn't have an agent backing me up on it. Like there, you know, it was just Mm me. Um, and the social media aspect of it was terrifying. Um, I was so frightened of what people would say and do. And, um, I was very, very scared um, of that, uh, of that aspect of it. And I ended up turning my social media accounts over to a friend because I just, I was not interested in reading the comments, good or bad, really. And, um, so I had a friend that was basically managing my social media and I, I would post things, but I would not read, um, Mm -hmm. anything really. And, uh, I'm glad I did that because it did offer me a little bit of protection. Um, and I, I just knew that like, I was not really going to be able to handle the, the negative stuff. Um, and I don't know if that makes me a weaker person for it, but I just knew that I, I think there were uh, the other thing was that I knew that I would get like obsessive about it, like checking all the time, 
you know, mulling over why somebody would say that and taking things really personally. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I do think there's an element of like with the screen in front, like I think people forget that the, like reality show contestants are just people who got, you know, like they're just people. And um, the comments that you're making about these people on shows are like, they actually can see them and read them and they right. take them really personally. Uh, so yeah, the, I mean, the social media aspect of it was really scary. And even when we started doing Babel and Nosh, like that was a hard thing for me to even think about was like, what is the social media response going to be to this? And um, I just got, uh, there's a new pilot that's going to come out that I'm shooting for, Meredith, that's a new no, new show concept that's going to be coming up. Um, and I just, we shot the pilot and I just got approval for three more episodes. And I am already like terrified of what the social media is going to be like for it. So that's kind of well, a lingering thing that I'm dealing with. I mean, uh, we, we have had that conversation more than once. And so I know yes. the anxiety that it brings and all of that. And you know that I also kind of have the mentality of, well, fuck them, you know, yes. and, and people. <laughs> yeah, I know you do. It is, it is one that's, of those things that I'm like, I wish I had that uh, because you're so good at being like, whatever. That's what that person thinks. Well, and also I told you, I was like, if they want to say anything, I'll c- tell them to come see me. Um, yeah. I, yeah. You know, and but uh, which. I remember, and I've told this story on Babe Cave before, but I'll tell it again. But um, when I I wrote a an article for um, Motto, um, which is was part of Time Magazine, but I had written this article, and I I had a couple different ones. I don't remember which one it was, but anyway, they had retweeted it or something, and this guy had commented, and he's like, "Oh, I wish that I could uh, write some really simple uh, article for Time Magazine and get published or something or whatever." You know, I was a dig, like, you know, it's it's too easy. It's such an easy read. It's not complicated. Whatever, and uh, you know, there's and that's on a very very small scale compared to, yeah. you know, stuff that you had. But I will never forget when I told my brother, because I was like, you know, screw you, dude. Like, part yeah. of you wants to react. Part of you wants to come back. Uh, yeah. You know, just because, too, it's like, it's so easy for people to tear the stuff that you're doing down. It's so easy for people to say, yeah. oh, that's so easy. I could do it. Uh, nah, bruh. Like, you couldn't. There's <laughs> That's why there's only a handful of people doing stuff. But I told right. my brother and he was like, he's like, for real? He's like, you have haters. He's like, you're legit. Yeah. But yeah. That, but it is. It's so real because, you know, people only hate on, I think Mindy Kaling has a, a thing about that. Like, it's only when you're doing something that other people want to tear down because they're afraid that you're taking up some, and I'm paraphrasing, but that you're taking up some kind of space that it reminds them that they're not doing things themselves. And it's, it's such a, it can be so easy to repeat that sometimes, but you know, when you're in it, it is totally different. But I mean, you, I, I would never want you to, get scared about being on camera or doing any of that stuff because you're incredibly charming. You're so much fun well, to watch. You. 
on stage as well as, you know, on video. Right. And I think that's why, I think that's why people probably come to harder, you know, and they're like, well, I kind of, you know, people seem to like so-and-so or people, you know, or you have in any kind of moment or, you know, some kind of little weakness where then people just love to tear it down. And I mean, that, that stuff only exists for a moment, right? Like you film something, you do something, you move on, but now it lives on YouTube or wherever. And so people can. And that was always what scared me about film is that, and and the thing that like I love about theater is that it is so temporary, Mm -hmm. but with film, like it, it exists. And when you put it on the internet, it exists for like such a long time, but I just keep, keep doing stuff because I do love performing so much that I can't let the fear stop me from going. And yeah. Um, so I just keep going and that's why I'm excited about smart cookie. That's the new thing that I'm going to be doing. It's called like smart it. cookie. Um, kind of going to be like baking hacks yes. and it's basically me, but I think I'm kind of talking to the crowd of late twenties, early thirties, some things that like you feel like you should have it all together and maybe <laughs> you don't because I certainly don't. Um, and that it's like, that is a totally fine place to be and that you can still get some shit done even if you don't have it all together. Um, because nobody, nobody does. Nobody Um, does. So I'm excited. I'm excited about that. And, uh, yeah, I'm just going to keep, just going to keep going. (laughs) Just going to keep going. Um, and I just wanted to ask a question real quick. Um, I don't think I've ever asked you this question, but so. When you were filming uh, Master Chef, like, what was a typical, like, you know, what what did a whole week kind of look like? Oh, um, essentially, we filmed Monday to Friday, um, and I think it, you know, it was long days. It was like twelve to fourteen hour days on set, so we would have to be up at like six, so that and like hair and makeup ready before we left at eight. Um, or I think we would maybe leave at seven or seven thirty in the morning, basically get to the studio by eight thirty. There would be some breakfast stuff there for us and we would be on set by, you know, nine thirty, ten o'clock in the morning. We would film until we had a lunch break, um, in the middle of the day, and then we would go back and we would either go back to the studio or we would do um like confessional stuff mm-hmm. filming. Or we would do both of those, and then we would be back to the hotel by dinner time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we would do it again every day. And it was essentially that, like, we would film, um, we would film every, every other day, two to basically twice a week, people would get sent home. And um, one episode of filming, or one episode was two days of filming. Okay. So every episode that you saw was actually two separate days of filming. Um, So we were basically filming um, two episodes each week. And then Friday would be like a big group challenge. That Mm -hmm. was something that we needed to go off set for. So Friday would be something like we did the diner challenge or the, the army challenge that we had to do. So those would be like an offset kind of thing that we had to do a group challenge where those were filmed on Fridays. 
cool. I mean, and that's basically it, the way the week went. Yeah, it well, it, it's all. I always just love to like know those little bits. Yeah. of things because I find production and all of that really fascinating. Um, yeah, yeah. Which well, fascinating sounds kind of funny, but um, <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like I just I love to yeah. know how things work and whatever. And um, you know, I, I as you were talking about that and other things, um, I was just thinking like of all of the anxiety that you had. Yes. From the show, even what you were talking about before of not really wanting to be on camera or to be photographed or all of those things. And even though you feel like you might want to have, you know, you've talked about this before. I, I feel like I'm not putting words in your mouth, but correct me if I'm wrong. But um, that I think it was like your final dish. You wish you would have done something different or, you know, there was some moments where you've thought back of, you know, that you'd like to have changed it. But now that everything is kind of said and done and you're, you know, you're, you're moving into this, um, you know, another really fun, exciting phase with a new show and stuff and something to look forward to. And you're still doing theater. Yeah. There's something that through all of the chaos of being on master chef and you know, the, the ways in which like you had to push yourself and grow so quickly, would yeah. you say that, like, or what would be the one thing that you feel like it gave you mm. that has allowed you to, like, move on and step outside of all of those walls? I think the biggest gift that MasterChef gave me is the ability to fail. Mm. Um, I... I think a lot of my anxiety that I have had since a child has stemmed from this, uh, this fear of failure that everything I did needed to be the best that it could be. And that anything that was not, you know, not even average was good enough for me. Like I needed everything that I did to be the absolute best. And MasterChef was not that experience for me. Like I did not win. I was never the person that was the best. And that was a really hard experience for me um, because I have just always strived to be at the top of everything. And um, a lot of that pressure is internal and not from other people, but the greatest gift is the ability to fail because I think that is, I actually gave a, a speech to a group of Girl Scouts. They were getting their gold star awards and for those who don't know, the Gold Star Award is essentially the equivalent of being a Eagle Scout with the Boy Scouts. And so all of these girls had worked long and hard throughout their high school you know, years to get this award. And I gave a speech to them about the importance of failure because I figure that these girls are probably really similar to me and that they strive to do the best all the time that they place such a high importance on success um, that they forget that there are lessons in failure because what you learn when you don't succeed is that it's actually totally fine. (laughs) That there is, there is uh, that the world continues and that you learn a lesson from whatever project that was of why things didn't work out. 
And for me with MasterChef, it was that it's okay that like I will be okay. The world will continue if I don't win. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took me until my 20s to be okay with that. Mm. Um, and now uh, I think it's allowed me at, at this point in my life to um, to go for the big things and be okay if they don't work. I think that's why I was okay with Babylon Nosh kind of not being able to continue on because because of life circumstances, like that is fine. I think it's made it okay for me to have some simpler goals in my life. And to know that I don't actually have to be the best at it. I just need to be a good person and that that is good enough for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that I, you know, I, I, if something doesn't work out, it's fine. As long as I've treated everybody else involved with the respect and the kindness that I would expect to be treated with. Um, and that is the biggest gift that MasterChef has given me is that the ability to fail is a gift. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have repeated myself several times, but, but yeah, no, 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 no you're good. the importance of it. Yeah. Uh, and I felt like the speech that I gave to the Girl Scouts, it was actually, I watched the scene where I was eliminated for the first time since it had happened and it was really hard to watch, but I'm glad that I did it because, um, I needed, I, I guess I just needed to show them like, this is fine. Like this happened to me on a national television. <laughs> I failed on national television <laughs> and I did not explode. Like I'm still here and I still have things to learn and I have things to give people and my experiences are still still valid and I have room to grow and all of those lovely things. On top of the fact that I also failed on national television. And it's totally fine. That's what I learned. (laughs) I I love that, though. And that's such a great message for young girls and stuff. Because I think that you see a lot of things of people succeeding, like, once or twice. You know, like, when they first do something or all of these things. And I think that the beauty is really in uh, falling flat on your face. And figuring out how to dust yourself off. And yes. You know, I think that going back to what you said before of improv being such a great tool for life that when you have to be up on stage and, you know, and you have, you walk out there and you're like, I actually have no idea what is about to happen. Right. And I know that you have probably experienced what many improvisers have experienced. We're like, that was really fucking bad. Like, what yep. did I even do? And mm. but when and especially too with a live audience and you know if it's theater or improv or whatever it is, I mean you get that reaction immediately. You see, yeah. Oh no, this went really bad. They see everything. <laughs> I'm yeah. so. I think that. Uh, <laughs> I think it's a, it's a great training ground just to kind of get over things in life because you're like this ain't even this. Whatever it is, you'll, you'll get, you'll, you know, dust yourself off the next day. You're, you yeah, still get that's up. my marker for like, is your day really going bad? Did you faint on national television? Right. Nope. <laughs> you're fine. You're fine. You're Move fine. On. It's okay. On. Oh man. I, well, Elise, like I'm really excited to see 
all of the stuff that you're working on. And thank you. I'm thank you so much for like for coming on and chatting with me and I've been wanting to do this for a while and Yay. it's just it's so great. It and is great. Can, it's been wonderful to talk to you and catch up and yeah. Yeah, and you're welcome back anytime. Thank you. Anytime. Yes. Um and so also where can the people find you? Oh gosh. Um well, you can find me. I have an Instagram. Uh, it's just my name, Elise Mayfield. Feel free to follow me there. You'll find pictures of food and pictures of my dog, um, <laughs> <laughs> which are my two favorite things right now. Um, so you can follow me on Instagram, and um, that's probably the best place to catch me right now. And then hopefully Smart Cookie. Keep a lookout for Smart Cookie. Um, I think that you'll be able to find Smart Cookie on Facebook and YouTube coming in the next couple of months. Yeah, you'll have to keep me posted, then I can share things and stuff. I will. Yes. Perfect. Nice. Oh, so much fun. Yeah. Love it. Love you. Oh love gosh. you. Um, and thank you. And I love you guys who are listening. Uh, but thank you for tuning in and listening to Elise and I babble about and noshing and all of the things. It really was. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, make sure to head on over to Amanda Pollock. Dot com. Let me know what you thought about the episode, and I can't wait to be with you next week. <laughs>